Benjamins, baby. Uh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Quiet. I'll be talking about more than just the Benjamins. Welcome to Fintech Beat, where finance, technology, and policy come together. I'm your host, Chris Brummer, and the future of finance is now. The collapse of Silicon Valley Bank created new stresses for banks of all sizes, including community and minority banks raising questions as to the optimal policy responses by government in an age of economic volatility and uncertainty. Questions like, how should government respond regulatorily when not all banks had made the missteps of Silicon Valley Bank? And in a world where some banks play especially crucial roles for vulnerable populations, should solutions be hardwired across the regulatory ecosystem to address financial instability, or is a more nuanced approach required? And if so, in what ways? Well, these were the kinds of questions we grappled with in an event I hosted with Georgetown and the National Bankers Association for this year's commemoration of Juneteenth, where my co-host Nicole Elam and I talked to a range of top policymakers across government and business. So as we commemorate the holiday this week, I wanted to share with our listeners the conversation I had with Mike Sue, the acting comptroller of the currency. I love holidays like Juneteenth because they give us the opportunity to have the conversations we ought to be having anyway. And it is a big delight that so many people from so many different political persuasions and geographies found the time to participate, chip in, and learn. There is perhaps no person better to kick off our conversation today than Mike Sue, the acting comptroller of the currency. As the leader of the agency tasked with supervising so many of our nation's banks, he is also, in all honesty, one of the most thorough researchers and consumers of research, I know as a law professor, uh, in the government. So, Mike, thanks so much for joining us for our annual Juneteenth conversation on banking and financial inclusion. Chris, thanks so much for having me. All right. So there are lots of big themes and that we'll hear, and especially with a focus on minority banks. But but maybe we should just sort of start from a 10,000 foot uh, with what's most relevant today. Um, there's been a lot of uh, work done, even over at the Fed, as to the drivers behind Silicon Valley Bank, as well as the repercussions and, and what the responses were. Uh, you know, what, what kinds of lessons can small community banks and, and MDIs draw when they're looking at everything unfolding? So uh, this is a great question to lead off on. And I think at a high level, there's four things. Um, and the first one is risk management, risk management, risk management. Uh, the, the Fed and the FDIC, they put out some reports about what exactly happened. And I encourage folks to read those, kind of go through the blow by blow, but it really comes down to guarding against complacency. Bankers are good risk managers, that's what they do. Sometimes they can let their guard down. And I think if, if you read through those and, and you, you look at that objectively, just being on your risk management game, something I've been telling uh, our examiners and bankers is you gotta be on the balls of your feet. You, know, you, can't, you can't sit back, you gotta be proactive with risk management. Uh, second, Liquidity and capital are your friend. Uh, you know, and this is a lesson that gets kind of relearned from time to time, especially you know, when times are good, it can, it, they can feel like a drag, but you have them because when during volatile periods, during times of uncertainty, liquidity and capital can really 
be there to buttress and to buffer uh, any organization, particularly banks, through those periods of uncertainty. Third lesson, concentrations can kill. You know, this is, this is kind of banking 101. Uh, everyone learns uh, that, you know, concentrations can kill. I think the twist with what happened at Silicon Valley and, and Signature is that uh, it was which concentrations in what. And here it's just good for bankers to kind of go through that analysis, you know, talk to their risk and compliance folks about kind of where are those concentrations, uh, how do we test those. Lastly, listen to your supervisor. You know, we bring a lot of experience to bear when, when, you're, when you're supervised, your exam team is pointing things out to say, hey, you should really focus on this. We're not making it up. It's based on a lot of experience. And I think what you saw with Silicon Valley and with Signature is that the supervisory teams were highlighting where there were problems. And that action, that inaction for long periods of time really led to these uh, building up of vulnerabilities. So, so, so what I'm hearing there is, is, is that some of these, these lessons are lessons that, you know, we, we teach over in our FinReg classes and you're, yeah. you're sort of saying, hey, look, you know, uh, they, they apply across the board for the big yeah. banks and, and, and even for the smallest banks. Um, you know, one of the things that you just had mentioned were, were obviously the, the the supervisors and to listen to the supervisors. And and here, you know, there's been a lot of conversation and, and here the, one of the primary uh, regulators was the Fed. Uh, but, you know, for, from your perch um, over at the OCC, uh, were there any sort of general either wake up calls or, or, or lessons uh, for, for other banking regulators, um, uh, especially when, when you looked at the drama unfold a bit? Uh, yes, always, always. I mean, we are constantly uh, reevaluating and trying to improve uh, both how we supervise, how we identify risks, how we communicate with banks, how we uh, look out for consumers. And you know, me personally, and I think most most examiners and their DNA are a little bit paranoid. And I think that's what you want. <laughs> that's what you want in your in your bank supervisors and regulators is a little bit of paranoia, healthy paranoia about what could go wrong. And what can we do uh, to ensure that we can banks can do what they need to do, lend to their communities, uh, engage, facilitate payments, you know, safeguard deposits and things like that. They need to do those things and at the same time uh, manage those risks. So we look to all these experiences, whether we experience them ourselves or whether they're experienced by our, our peer agencies, what can we learn? How can we do better? Um, and how can we make sure that the banking system is strong for, for everybody? Yeah, you know, you know, when when you think about that 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 paranoia and and the risk, and sometimes that paranoia isn't paranoia. Sometimes it actually is real risk, right? Uh, and 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 sometimes it's just trying to figure out, you know, what are the best regulatory approaches. You know, um, I, this is a bit of a deviation, but I think it's relevant, especially for some of our uh, CEOs um, of of the MDIs who are who are watching. You know, I, I did see the the recent joint statement on on third party risk um, uh, in in the system, and and obviously small banks. Uh, may need more additional services uh, than, than, than larger banks. So, so how should we think about that complication uh, concerning third-party risk, especially in an age where, you know, risks are accelerating? Yeah. So there's, there's, uh, I'm really glad you brought this up, Chris. So uh, we had just put out some interagency guidance uh, between the Fed, FDIC, OCC on third-party risk management. And this landscape has changed a lot. You know, when, when the first... Third, when people think of third-party risk, I think they usually think in terms of vendors. You know, a bank is basically relying on a vendor for a particular service. That's pretty well understood. 
kind of what those relationships are, how banks need to approach that. Today, it's way more complicated. You've got arrangements where vendors are relying on banks and they're relying on banks, not just for uh, their banking needs, but for providing banking services to a whole new set of customers, to, uh, to, to other uh, uh, parts of the economy. And so these relationships get quite a bit more complicated. And part of what we're trying to put out there is, look, there's a way to do this where it can be safe, it can be sound, it can be fair. And that's what we want. But it really requires some attention and you can't just wing it. And I think that that is, you know, in, in colloquial terms, we've seen some instances where there's just been a little bit less attention on the due diligence, like who are your partners? What are they doing? Who's responsible? And trying to nail that down. Now, for smaller banks, it is harder. And I think you break up a really good point. In some ways, the need is greater for some of the smaller banks. And so in the guidance, we acknowledge that. We got a lot of comments on this. And so we acknowledge that and we make sure we, we, we say, look, smaller banks, you can do, you can rely on group efforts joint efforts, certifications, other ways to skin the cat. Like how do you get comfortable with a vendor? You don't each have to do your own due diligence over and over and over and over again. If there's other mechanisms, we're open to that. And so we, we build that in very explicitly, recognize now that space needs to be built out. And so for your listeners, for anyone who's saying like, hey, how can I help? This is one way to help. That is really interesting, you know, and, and we've talked before many times about, you know, yeah. like how exactly, do you address real risks and sort of encourage competition and, and also, you know, how do you enable all these different sort of pieces of the financial system to be able to service uh, their respective communities? And I, I think that that's a really interesting approach where you uh, understand that there's, there are these new third party you know, literally what you call a third party is different. And then, and yep. then there will be some kind of a, a need for, for some kind of um, a coordination. And I guess, you know, this, this gets back, back to sort of the, the overall theme. I mean, like, like MDIs are facing stresses uh, mm -hmm. for sure. And like their larger regional banks, um, you know, there has been uh, some deposit flight and, and what I'm guessing is going to be some higher uh, borrowing first uh, costs. So, so I guess first, like, um, are you seeing any developments in the MDI CDFI community that, that caused you some concern? And then second, you know, when you get back to that first remark that you made about supervision and capitalization and the like, you know, are there any resources available at the OCC to help them weather the challenging and, and sometimes volatile uh, macroeconomic environment? Uh, yes. So I want to circle back to something that Nicole had opened with. MDIs, CDFIs, community banks, they really do serve their communities in a way that large banks simply cannot and do not. That's really critical. We have a very diverse economy. We've got lots and lots of different communities out there. They all need banking services. They all need banking access. MDIs are particularly critical in their, in their neighborhoods with their communities. And what I'm hearing is a lot of anxiety. There's anxiety that needs are gonna go up. They're gonna get, they're gonna go up and they're gonna be more complicated at the same time that support is gonna go down. That's the fear. They're gonna get hit on both ends. And so this is something that we've had some discussions at, you know, at the OCC, we've got an advisory committee, an MDI advisory committee. So we meet, we hear from them. There's, it's a cross section. You know, what are, what are their challenges? Where are their opportunities? This is something we hear. Um, the good news 
is that a lot of the larger institutions, a lot of larger banks, they want to help. And you know, to tie this back to Juneteenth, I have to say, after the murder of George Floyd, a lot of organizations, including the OCC, really had a, a bit of a wake-up call. I mean, I think it really was, it, it hit harder, it hit deeper than a lot of other events. And there were commitments made to really help out. And I think you, I like to, to summarize it as a lot of the larger institutions went from taking a transactional approach to MDIs to taking a bit more of a relational approach. I think that's really important. Relationships will stand the test of time. It's like a friendship, they'll be there. And one of the concerns that I've heard from MDIs and others is when the cameras turn off and everyone kind of goes back to business as usual, people lose interest and we kind of things swing back to the way they were before. And that can't be how we solve these problems. It just, it just can't. We have to get to a different level of relationship and support. And I think now, as you pointed out, as we enter these you know, choppier times with more anxiety, how do people step up? How do they engage? I think a lot of it's about technical assistance. Money helps, money's important, but it's that technical assistance. It's that kind of working through those issues together. That's what really sustains. Yeah, you know, um, I, I I think you know what you're putting on the, the technical assistance is is just is just vital. Um, and we'll be talking later with uh, uh, the deputy secretary of the Treasury Department about some of the things that they've done. Uh, but even beyond you know capitalization and the recapitalization of banks, you know what exactly can can be done to keep these banks competitive and servicing their their, their communities. You know, I think one of the things, and you've probably heard this on the, on your advisory committee, um, is, is that a lot of the the MDIs. Uh, and this has been a longstanding sort of challenge. Is you know they they felt a little disadvantaged, particularly vis-a-vis -vis their, their their larger competitors, and 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 you know when you see now what's been been happening in the market is it, too big to fail. You know a bigger problem than what it was even five or ten years ago. And and, and does that sort of impact you know um, uh, MDIs in, in any real way? And 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 how should you know, uh, not just MDIs, but, but smaller banks um, uh, think about their uh, relative size, you know, yeah. when they start to strategize their, their survival and, and growth strategies. So the good news is the too big to fail, the too big to fail problem has changed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, back uh, uh, when it originally kind of came up around the time of the 2008 financial crisis, the real problem was that the largest banks were weak right? They were weak, but there was an expectation that the government would support them because they were systemic. That was kind of the, the problem. Today, the largest banks are strong. They're perceived as strong. And because of that, they're perceived as safer, right? And so it, it, it's, it's the same label. No, it's it true. No. It has shifted. Now, I think what if for the, for the smaller banks, I just loop back to this, the pie is big enough. Like the America is a huge country. <laughs> lots and lots and lots of different um, communities, different types of customers that need service. And the mega banks can't and don't want to serve all of them. That's just not possible. So there's plenty of niches. There's plenty of uh, uh, opportunities for smaller banks to, to bank them. The key is be safe, right? If you're, people want safety with their money. And then they can deliver those services in a way that I, there, there are those opportunities. Now, again, the good news here is I think a lot of the larger banks, they want to partner. They want to help some of the MDIs, CDFIs, and others um, complete that value chain across all these diverse parts of the economy. CRA is part of that. 
you know, there's other initiatives, um, but that's 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 all part of the the solution. To that point, I mean, if, if you had your, your your magic wand here, you know, I mean, not just you know, comptroller of the currency, but I guess you know, wizard, you know, what, what you know, what would you like to see? You know, is there anything in particular that you would like to see uh, from the private sector when it comes to? I mean, you, you've already you're sort of already getting there in terms of the, the technical assistance. Is that really um, is that the, the the nodal point as as the kind of private sector action, or 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 is there uh, anything else uh, that, that that you find uh, really important there? For me, there's a whole set of tactical things. I think that's that's part of it. You know, the technical assistance, it sounds boring. It is huge. Yes. We, we've had examples where uh, a large bank will second an executive to an MDI or CDFI, invaluable, because the human knowledge, the, the human capital sharing of that, you can't buy that. Like that requires, that's just taking experience and really spreading that in a way that can then be planted and it, it's an investment. And doing more of those kinds of things uh, can really, really be helpful. Again, this comes back to relationships. Like there's no, there's no dollar amount, you can't put that on your website, but it's really, really, really helpful and really valuable. Um, tactically, other partnerships to kind of leverage uh, delivery channels and products and services, uh, that's also super helpful. The other is place-based initiatives. You know, there are some uh, uh, really focused in terms of cities or rural areas or particular places, like what is the package of investments and in, in financial support needed so that the entire community can thrive? Just building, you know, one apartment building that can help. If there's a shop, if there's a place to buy food, a healthcare center, childcare, like those, I think, are, are trying to approach things a bit more holistically. And again, banks have that perspective. They have that perch where they can actually participate in all those different parts in a way that's really helpful to economic development. So, so we only have about a, a minute left, but uh, can you maybe give us a little bit of a prediction? I mean, what kinds of priorities could we expect to see from the OCC uh, when it comes to uh, banking regulation more, more generally as, as we look out in, uh, forward the next year or so? So um, uh, I think you can always expect, uh, certainly under my leadership, like strong, strong, strong focus on safety and soundness, equal focus on fairness. And I think this is part of, um, fairness tends to ebb and flow. You know, safety and soundness, I think is, that's, that's people associate that with bank regulation and bank regulators. Fairness, and I, I don't think that's the right approach. I think fairness needs to be just as uh, much of a priority as safety and sound, because both of those go to trust. And banking is all about trust. And you don't trust someone who's a fair weather fan, you know, on these kinds of things. And I think part of the, what I really appreciate about Juneteenth, about what, what you do, is making these things visible, keeping them in people's minds. Uh, it's good accountability. It's good, just good reminders. And I think we just have to keep that up as long and as much as possible and make it a habit. So we don't even have to think about it. It's just something we do. You know, Mike, thank you so, so, so much. You know, I, I like Juneteenth and, and a series of, of big events just because they allow us to have the kinds of conversations that we should be having anyway. And, and, and you're Absolutely. someone who's always been there for those conversations. And I really appreciate it. Um, it's just been a great conversation with uh, obviously so many more, more issues to tackle. But thank you, uh, Mr. Acting Comptroller, for, for joining us. Thanks for having me. I have always felt and frankly acknowledged that banking policy isn't easy. 
It's a sector of the economy that is fraught with inherent instabilities and fragilities. And the question all of our regulators have to figure out is how to address those fragilities in ways that promote the economy and speak to the best of our collective and shared values. Conversations like these, part technocratic, part policy, and imbued in good faith, are how we as a country can get there. I hope you enjoyed this stab at that great American dream. And to everyone, a happy Juneteenth. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to get in touch, just hit me up at Chris Brummer DR. That's at C-H-R-I-S-B-R-U-M-M-E-R-D-R. We'd love to hear from you.